Readers Entertainment Radio presents Book Lights with your host, author Lisa Kessler. Book Lights, where we're shining a light on good books. Good morning, everyone. It's Monday. I'm here in Florida where we had like crazy rainstorm last night and somebody messaged me that this was my first storm. So that was exciting. Um, Being from San Diego, we had no weather. So this is all very strange to be on this coast. But I'm super excited today to chat with Laquette. And if you have never read her yet, you are in for a huge treat. She writes contemporary romances that are going to melt your heart and curl your toes. And I want, if you haven't read before I'm going to go ahead and read her bio so you can get to know her a little better. Laquette is a romance author of bold, provocative love stories featuring multicultural characters. Her writing style brings intellect to the drama. She often crafts emotionally epic, fantastical tales that are deeply pigmented by reality's paintbrush. Her novels are filled with a unique mixture of savvy, sarcastic, brazen, and unapologetically sexy characters who are confident in their right to appear on the page. I love that. This best-selling romance author is the 2016 Author of the Year Golden Apple Award winner, 2015 Swirl Awards Bronze winner in Romance, Romantic Suspense, and 2015 Georgia Romance Writers Maggie Award finalist in Erotic Romance. Laquette is a native of Brooklyn, New York, and spends her time catering to her three distinct personalities, wife, mother, and educator. Um, I did put a link to her website right there on the Blog Talk site, so you can click it, sign up for her newsletter, find out about her upcoming books. And she also loves to hear from readers, so I did put her email address right there for you to send her notes and find out what's next. So without any further delay, Laquette, you there? Yes, I am. Thank you so much for that warm welcome. Oh, I'm so glad to have you on the show. For those who don't know, Laquette and I um, served on the RWA board together, and I've also taken her, she has a fantastic um, craft class on writing with a critical lens. Um, So anyway, I'm a huge fan of Laquette, and I'm so excited she could take time to be here because I know you've been in deadline craziness. (laughs) Yes. And you had a new book out. Right, um, right. This is the life. Well, well, I don't have a new book out right now, but I have a new book coming out in February. So um, it is called Jackson, and it's going to be out through source books in January. But I am writing all of the books in between now and then. <laughs> <laughs> well, then. <laughs> well, and most recently, Under His Protection came out, right? And you want to tell people why <laughs> they should run out and grab that one? Well, they won't be able to grab that one, unfortunately, because as popular as it is, or as it has been for me, um, it it was removed because of um, I got my rights back. My rights were reverted back to me from the publisher. And so it will be oh, republished again. Yeah, it will be republished again in, I want to say, probably by the end of the year, maybe December sometime. But there's also Lies You Tell, which is waiting, ready and waiting for anyone who wants to one-click. It has a sexy cover. I put that cover on the Blog Talk site, so if you're listening live and it keeps flashing and tempting you, um, (laughs) you want to tell them a little bit about that one, why they should grab it? Uh, Lies you tell, if you're into mobster 
stories. Um, this story is about basically a, a, a mobster who wants out of the life and he wants to go straight. Um, I, I thought about what if Michael Corleone, you know, in The Godfather, he, he keeps saying, he keeps telling his wife, just give us a year, give us a however many years and the family will be straight and I'll be able to walk away from all of this. We'll be legit then. Um, so I thought what would happen if Michael really did get the opportunity to go legit and take the family legit, how, what would that, what would it take for that to happen and what would it look like? And that's lies you tell. Oh, I love it. And there's a, there's a romance, right? Oh, absolutely. So um, Dante, who is the hero, uh, he is, Don DeLuca, uh, he did not want to be Don. His father did not want him to be Don, but through a set of circumstances, when his father passes away, he ends up becoming the Don of the family. Uh, his job was supposed to be legit. He wasn't supposed to have any part of the family. And while he, before his father passes, he starts dating this young woman that he falls head over heels with named Sinai. And unfortunately uh, for Dante, he is he comes to Sinai's house one day and realizes that the house is engulfed in flames and she and his and she's told he's told that she's dead and he's given the only thing that's left of her body is the gold locket that she always wore that he gave to her and so six years have passed and he goes to New York to visit a friend of his who's son, who is also Dante's godson, was in a terrible car accident. And when he goes into the hospital, he glimpses a woman that looks very much like Sinai. And he can't believe it. He thinks his mind is playing tricks on him. But come to find out, Sinai is not as dead as (laughs) everyone believes. (laughs) I love those not really dead stories. What? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, that sounds fantastic. So lots of twisty turnies. Yes, lots of twisty turns, lots of surprises, um, lots of feelings. Uh, she has a really good reason for pretending to be dead all this time, and it's very much connected to Dante's world, you know, basically infecting every other part of his life. Um, and so it's, it's a lot of feels, it's a lot of emotion and it's a lot of sexy times. Uh, they are, they burn up the pages together. They really do. (laughs) And is it part of a series? Um, it was supposed to be, um, but during the time since then, it contracted for, this was a, a book that was initially published through Lucid. And when Lucid closed, uh, the rights reverted to me. And I thought about writing a part two to it. But before I had the opportunity to do that, um, traditional publishing came knocking. And I, as I said, I'm in deadline hell. So <laughs> I have to finish all of right. those books so someday. first. <laughs> so someday there will more than likely yeah. be another another book to it. Oh, that's so cool. And didn't I see on Twitter that you have sold, uh, don't, don't you have kind of a mobster series that's, you know, set back in the twenties or something, twenties or thirties. Did you sell well, that? It's not just, 
I haven't sold it yet, but um, well, okay, did sell it, but the publisher and I parted ways, and because of that, we're in the process of my agent and I are in the process of trying to sell it again, and so I got um, it's it's a three book series that's not really a mobster series. It's it's set during the Harlem Renaissance. And so the Harlem Renaissance and Prohibition kind of overlap. And so there are three very distinct stories that would have been, that are based on real life figures during the Harlem Renaissance. So the first book is based on Bumpy Johnson. And I don't know if you know who Bumpy Johnson is, but he basically was the godfather of Harlem. He was basically the kingpin the head mobster in Harlem, and he held his own in a bloody war against the Dutch Schultz. And in order to protect Harlem, he made some sort of a deal with the Italian mob that kept the mob out of Harlem forever. And so, um, yeah, and so he ran Harlem for almost 40 years before he died. Uh on that one deal he made with Lucky Luciano. So in my head, I thought to myself, and it's very rare, you know, when we, when we have these stories that are where we talk about the classic mobster of the, you know, early 20s, 30s, um, we only really very much hear about the Italian mob and possibly if you're going to Chicago, maybe the Irish mob. Um, mm-hmm. But we don't really talk about the fact that there were well-known black gangsters too. And, um, and so knowing about Bumpy Johnson, I was like, Hmm, I wonder what would happen if Bumpy Johnson and Lucky Luciano fell in love. (laughs) Oh my God. The first book, I don't know why that came to my head, but it did. Um, And so the, (laughs) the, the, the first book is about, you know, it's based on an imaginary happening between Bumpy and Bumpy Johnson and Lucky Luciano. The next uh, story is based on um, Cab Calloway and um, what would have been Cab, what would have been the Cotton Club owner's son. Um, He didn't really, technically he didn't have a son, but in my imagination, if he had one, he would have fallen in love with Cab Calloway. (laughs) And it would have been nice. hella problematic because Oni Nelson was very um, was was known to be incredibly racist, so it would have been really oh, um, a lot of conflict in that relationship. And then the last one is uh, Langston Hughes paired with a rum runner uh, from Cuba, and so it's um, it's basically what I call my Harlem Nights series. Yes. Oh, well, yes, now you have to do it. <laughs> well, my agent I love it. told me that I, my agent read it recently because I, I sold this to a small press a couple of years ago. So my agent recently, when I got the rights back to it, my agent, my agent recently read it and she's like, oh my God, I love this. And we must, you must write this. So um, you I must. Been, So I I will, you know, (laughs) I will, but she's very enthusiastic. Yeah. Oh, it sounds fantastic. And I wanted to ask you too, I know that you're from New York. A lot of your books take place in New York. How how does New York Mm -hmm. play into everything you write? Well, I'm my, my writer's voice 
is incredibly Brooklyn. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, and when I, when I'm speaking, at least when I'm having, you know, uh, a cordial conversation or colloquial conversation with friends, it is very evident that I come from New York <laughs> because I have a, have a very thick New York accent and it really is pronounced when I am, like I said, when I'm with friends and, or family and we're just shooting the breeze and having fun. Um, if you, I did a, an, I did a, a chat this week, an Instagram live chat with um, Andy Christopher, where we basically just, um, we did this thing called drunk romance history, where it's basically drunk history, but with romance. And you basically <laughs> tell Andy about a book, a crazy book that you've read and loved. And so the whole time, like, because we're drinking, we literally are drinking and talking about this book. Like, I'm having a grand old time, and the whole time my Brooklyn is just coming out ridiculously. So, so and <laughs> it is very much, it's very much a part of who I am, and so it very much shows up in my work. And do you feel like when it comes out, because you love New York, is it is it less like a setting and more like a character? Does New York you know, get a part in all your books? I think absolutely. Um, Because in everything I write, my characters are very much authentic. One of the reasons I I write, one of the reasons I've always wanted to write and now am writing is because I wanted to be able to, I wanted to be able to put myself and people that look like me and live like me on the page. And I didn't, you know, if I change that, if I change that that sound to their voices, that that thing about them that makes them very much identifiable as a New Yorker, um, mm-hmm. it's it wouldn't be putting my people on the page, and that's that's what I'm what I'm here for. I recently sent my my editor a manuscript for um, my Harlequin category, and one of the things that in it is that the characters talk about sneakers and, and Nike sneakers. And he's like, I don't know if rich people would really be talking about this. And I was like, dude, you have not been a black person in Brooklyn. Cause I don't care how much money you make. <laughs> if they are still sneakers. You, <laughs> Jordans are still, <laughs> Jordans are still a thing. And Jordans cost $300 a pop. <laughs> for grown men sizes, <laughs> and if you can afford to have an entire closet filled with Jordans, you are making bank. Trust me, <laughs> it, it, it is the truth. So it, you know, it's very much part of um, my characterization for the characters because this is who they are. Yes, they're they're you know they run Fortune 500 companies, but when they're not in Armani. And they're just, you know, chilling around the way or they're playing a, a game of basketball with their friends at the local park, then they're they're talking about what kind of J's they have or, you know, you know, making sure that they're they still have that cute athletic wear thing going on because it's very much a part of um Brooklyn culture, Brooklyn black culture especially. Mhm. Yeah, and and I 
I know that we just talked about the Harlem Renaissance and that would be more historical, but are all, yeah. all your ideas, basically they're contemporary romances or, or set in New York, <laughs> right? Yes. Is that, is that all you ever dream the, of writing something else? Well, I am. I'm contracted to write a series of what I call, what we're affectionately calling the divorce series for St. Martin's Press, and it's probably going to be out sometime in 2022. And um, it's, very, it's, it's actually based on the small town in um, the Pocono Mountains that I actually live in. And um, it's, it's going to be funny to see how that works out because it's a whole different atmosphere than New York or Brooklyn. Right. But still, you know, it's still you because that's where you're living now, right? Yes. I love that. <laughs> and these are going to be romances too, right? Yes, that's that's what I write. I am, um, you know, I spend a lot of time studying canonical literature. And so I have no interest whatsoever in writing it or reading it <laughs> any longer. <laughs> and so the only thing I want to write is romance. <laughs> that's the only thing I, I want to write. <laughs> And and that dovetails right into, I always ask everybody who comes on, because readers are always curious about what your writing journey was like. And you kind of started mm-hmm. in academia, right? I mean, what did your yeah. journey look like? Um, it, it was crazy. I mean, I started as an English lit major. Um, and I initially became an English lit major because I did want to write romance, but I was not aware at the time that romance wasn't considered by academia. It wasn't considered literature. Right. And so I, I went and I studied all of this canonical literature because that's part of the curriculum and you have to study it. And I took, um, um, I took, uh, my undergraduate was in creative writing. So I got to really learn some really cool things about writing while I was doing that. And then, my graduate degree was in English literature and um, it gives you a really, it, it gave me a real appreciation for the craft of writing as well as for the analysis of, um, of literature. And so that having that in, in my head gave me like a, a, I don't know, it gave me like a, a different way of thinking about how I write but I still wanted mm-hmm. to apply that to romance. So I just took the skills that I learned there. And when I started writing, I wanted to write basically what amounted to romantic soap operas. And um, that's what I write. That's what I, I do. And anyone who picks up a book of mine, they're really dramatic, but still like so emotion driven. Um, my, my books are generally uh, character driven books because it's all about the feels for me. Um, you know, my plot, I don't really do a lot of plotting. I'm not a plotty McPlotterson. Like, you'll never find, like, heavy, heavily <laughs> intricate plots with me, because that's just not where my focus is. <laughs> my focus you don't, you don't is have always. post-it notes all over your office and <laughs> colored note cards? No. And... <laughs> I usually, like, my, my, my editors will call me um, on stuff, and they'll be like, listen, you know, you said she did this and that in chapter two, but here you're saying something else. And I'm like, oh, did I? Okay, let me go back and check. All right, let me fix that. Because uh, I, it doesn't, like, I have a general overview of what's going to happen. 
Um, and I, I write from a synopsis, so it's still not like, you know, I know some people who do really in-depth, like, scene cards and stuff like that. I, I don't know anything about that. I just sit down <laughs> and write. Yeah, and, um, I, I've tried plotting, and it turns into a term paper, you know, then I lose all my emotion for the project. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not a big plotter either. <laughs> I got to yeah. know what comes next, so I have to write it. <laughs> I mean, I can, I, I've learned to write synopses because just by getting into the, the traditional side of publishing, right. which is often a requirement when you want to, when you want to um, submit something for, you know, a proposal. But those synopses come, have become pretty much the blueprint for the book. And they're really, right. um, they're really, really, they're really, really um, Ooh, a blueprint <laughs> for me. And I just go ahead and put them up there and, and I write from them. And sometimes I, like the last book I turned in, I was really afraid I actually wasn't going to make up the contracted word count because the synopsis was so tight that I felt like the story happens really quickly. So I told my editor, like, listen, you might want to check time frame on this and, and, you know, keep an eye out for that and make sure it's not happening too fast and if I need to add anything else, you know, to expand it. Um, but I, I'm not really into plot whatsoever. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> my characters could spend the whole book in one room and I'd be okay with that. <laughs> You know they have to eat. <laughs> it's true, and it's it's true. It's always a kitchen. Like my character spent a lot of time in the kitchen, and so I have to be conscious of that. And be like, you know, you they've been in this kitchen for like five chapters. When are they getting out of this kitchen? So it becomes, <laughs> it really is true. I totally get I mean, it. <laughs> it's absolutely true. So if you read a book of mine and there's more than one one room that the characters are in, it's because my editor said to me, move them. They can't have every conversation <laughs> in this room. <laughs> so <laughs> when you were deciding that you were going to, you know, become a published author, did you find critique groups? Did you have enough schooling from college? Were you, you were teaching, right? Were you teaching when you started I was, writing? I was teaching I was teaching um I was teaching in college I was teaching young freshmen how to write for academia um I <laughs> put a book out and and I self-pubbed initially and um I didn't have critique partners at that point because I hadn't really made any connections in in romance at that point and slowly as i you know, began to network and build friendships. And I also joined RWA. Um, I've developed, you know, I developed those sorts of connections. And, you know, now I have critique partners. Now I have people that beta read for me. Um, Naima Simone is is one of my beta readers, and she's a phenomenal um, author. And I often tell her, like, when I read one of her books, I don't even understand why I'm attempting to write and put books out because she's so amazing. And so when she reads my books and she tells me what she loves about them, like it really helps me feel like, okay, I'm actually, I might actually know what I'm doing because Naima loves it. Um, <laughs> right. And so, <laughs> she's fantastic. <laughs> she is. She's amazing. She's really an amazing, and, and not just as a writer, but she's an amazing human being. But, um, you know, she RWA is. has helped me develop those, those sorts of connections. So, and it's very important as a writer to have mm-hmm. someone else look at your work because you don't, 
Like, you know what's supposed to be there, but you don't often recognize what's missing. And so having other eyes on your work, it really helps you to see those places where you have gaps where you, you don't even recognize it. Right, because we know, and then we don't realize that it's not actually on the page. One of my writer friends way back in the beginning <laughs> told me, you know, Lisa, you can't travel with your book and tell people, but what this really means is, dang <laughs> <laughs> it. <laughs> it's true. It's absolutely true. What do you true, mean so. I can't pop out and tell them what that means? <laughs> it's true. So, and, and again, as an author, you don't really see it because you understand it. But um, exactly, you know, when you when you when it's out in the world, there's no way that you know that reader is going to be able to figure out what it was you thought you put on the page. So having critique partners, beta readers, um, it's an essential part of the writing process. Right, and I'm guessing the um, university academia um, probably aren't great beta readers since <laughs> they don't. It's you know, a different don't kind recognize. of reading. Um, yeah. It's, a, I, it's, it's slowly changing, though, because now you have the International Association of Popular Romance, which is an academic um, movement to basically have, have romance looked at as literature, which it is. Um, and it's right. been going for, I, I want to say for the last, I, I, if not a decade, near a decade, Um and it's really doing a lot of great work and getting, you know, trying to change that perspective. Right. And I've never even heard of that. It's the International Association of Romance. Of popular romance. Popular romance. That's so cool. I love it. <laughs> because in, in canonical literature, there's actually a, a, a kind of literature or period called the romance period that it has nothing to do with you know, genre romance. <laughs> so right, that's what they call right. popular romance. <laughs> yeah, okay, I understand. That's cool. Well, I also um, wanted to ask you, because you do teach that critical lens class, I, do you miss teaching? Uh, you're great. I mean, I took that uh, online class, oh, and you're, you. very, you're very good at it. Do you miss it? Um, not teaching really, in not classroom. at the moment. No. <laughs> okay. I, I miss. I, I don't mind. I don't miss lecturing. I do. I miss lecturing. I don't necessarily miss grading papers. So right. <laughs> you know, I think that's the the. Like, I don't think only, anybody likes that part. I, yeah. So if the only thing I had to do was like lecture, I'd be fine with it. But having to grade like you know ninety papers by the end of the semester, it would drive me up a wall right now with my with my writing deadline. So there's no way I could do both at the same time. Right. Right. Well, you're very gifted at it. So I appreciate what you, Uh, what you do and put out there because um, writing is an interesting, you know, I came from a business background and our industry is so supportive for the most part that it's, it's really cool because it's not like that in other industries. And I really appreciate that you give back the way you do. Oh, well, thank you. I mean, I'm, I firmly believe that if people gave to me, like people taught me, people helped me get to where I am. And so it is my duty then to reach back and do the same for others. 
Yeah, I I totally agree. And and also, you know, even uh, every time we mention RWA, I'm like, okay, I don't want to go into the scandal, but I do <laughs> really appreciate that everybody is fighting so hard to make it better. And I and and I was a small part of that, but you're still doing it, doing the hard work, and I really appreciate that because I think if we can, you know, fix it, I think it's a worthy um organization necessary for writers because we need to connect and network and especially now we definitely need to connect we definitely need that we need rwa is necessary in in today's business um for writers and for romance writers and so you know it's it's flawed and we're still working on you know trying to rebuild it um it's not an easy task Mm -hmm. um but we're working on it, and we have been really blessed with a lot of people who want to work on it with us and keep the momentum going. So I am I'm proud of the work that we're doing, and my hope is that we will actually be able to accomplish the things that we're setting out to accomplish. I agree, and I'm I'm so glad that you are on that team because I feel like it's in very good hands. <laughs> oh, thank you, so, Lisa. <laughs> oh, well, I, I really do appreciate all of your hard work. And before we go, because we're running out of time, how do you mm-hmm. like to connect with readers? How should they get in touch with you? Is your newsletter the best way? Are you on Facebook, Twitter? Um, Right now, my newsletter is probably not the best way, although I would say still sign up. I'm not a person that's going to spam you. You might get something from me every three months or so. Um, <laughs> but but the best way to reach me is probably um, through email at laquette at com. I'm also on Twitter and Facebook. You can find me in those spaces by the name Laquette. Um, on Twitter, I'm Laquette Wright. Um, but it's really email is probably the best because I don't spend a, a huge amount of time on social media uh, because I'm writing all the books. <laughs> right, all the books. Well, I'm going to let you go get all the words, but thank you so much for coming on today. It was great chatting with you. Same here. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us on Book Lights. Be sure to connect with us at www.readersentertainment.com for articles, blogs, videos, and podcasts that matter to readers. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.